Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. You visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Zan. Hi everybody, I'm Zan and I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. I'm very grateful to be here and glad to be here and I want to thank Leslie for asking me. Well, I've been in OA since 1976. <laughs> and uh, I felt a wave of nostalgia come over me as I was sitting there. I haven't thought at all about what I would talk about. I'm really grateful for that, um, except just now. And uh, I don't know. I don't know why. For one thing, I'm just. I'm, I just love nostalgia. Probably because like there's no fear in the past. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's always in the future. So, um, so I was just thinking that, uh, you know, back then, okay, so like in 1976, probably through at least till 80 or something, like most of our meetings were two hours long, and the speaker always talked for about 45 minutes. I think there were some meetings where they didn't, but most of them, the speaker would share for 45 minutes. There was always a 10-minute break in the middle. Um, at least 10 minutes, and we would all go out to coffee afterward, too, which, um, I mean, I'm sure this wasn't just, well, I think it was part of the time, you know, like, who has time anymore, you know. Um, I jump around, and I'll start doing that right now. Um, You know, in fact, there's someone who has his little email signature is something or other, something or other, because stewardship is 24-7. Like, meaning he's just, we're always available now. Like, work, remember it used to be 9 to 5? So, you know, I was a real normie with food until about the age of, oh, I would say 11 or 12. And pardon me for all those who've heard my story before, but there are many of you who haven't. But I think a lot about how before this disease really grabbed onto me, I was very normal, mostly meaning when I got full, I would stop eating. And that, of course, is the big difference, is that when when I really started going here, it didn't matter that I was full. I would keep eating and eating and eating, um, of course, until I felt sick. And and again, that started around age 12. Um, My family background is is just riddled with disease. Um, Let's see. Well, you know, I always feel like conflicted about that you know do I point the finger do I am I taking their inventory am I blaming you know um, so I'm going to just decide to describe it as I see it Um, my my mom has I think always been a compulsive overeater Um, I think she has other addictions as well very uh, what's indicative of the 50s and like Valium? No, except see, but that it wasn't Valium. It was what did they call it back then? Or maybe it was. Anyway, you guys are practically all too young, you know. And then, and well, I mean, I I don't know. Should I go into the gory details? Encourage me, encourage me. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so I'm smiling, and and what I'm about to say isn't very happy, but um, but uh, okay. Here's the deal. It's like. Well, I'm just going to call it. My dad was uh, like big time Al-Anon, and so am I, by the way. 
go am I, kind of control freak, trying to control others, um, very, you know, motivated by fear. Although, I mean, not today, you guys. Today I'm happy, joyous, and free. But um, <laughs> those, are, those are traits I can definitely exhibit. Um, and so, like, with my, uh, with my dad, since I'm talking about my family, so my brother was a full-blown drug addict, okay? So he started with, the, like, drugs in at marijuana, the gateway drug, right? And, I mean, classic, in around his age, 12. And, okay, more nostalgia coming on. Remember Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young? I know a lot of you guys do. And David Crosby had that um, uh, suede jacket with the fringe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the long hair. And see, because I'm 52, so. Um, and my brother had a jacket just like that. And he played Neil Young on his guitar in the next room. And um, riding that cane, train, you know, high on cocaine. And. Um, <laughs> And and he was also my hero. But so he he just launched into this classic road of drug addiction. Um, and what happened was he was in two car accidents. Um, and no no he was in a car accident where he broke his back and then he had to have a spinal fusion. So he see I'm talking I'm telling somebody else's story here, but I'm, I'm getting my role my my. Uh, my getting my what on what do they call it anyway I can feel it coming so so he um, did that oh yeah so he was able to really abuse prescription drugs because you know the guy had broken his back and he had and so but the reason I'm telling you this all is because he lived right up here on Montana Avenue and at the age of 41 um, he committed suicide and my father had supported him for his entire life financially until three weeks before he died. Um, you know, so this was just, you know, just a lot of Al-Anon stuff. And, again, guilty as charged. You know, me too, me too. You know, and I have good relationships with my parents today, although with my mom it continues to be kind of actually quite tumultuous at times. Um, I've, you know, made a hundred amends. I've, I've written a thousand inventories and uh, guilty as charged, you know. But anyway, um, so my my thing, yes, at age 12, you know, I, I would uh, look at alcohol or drugs or something and just, I, uh, the funny thing to me is I would look at those things and say, well, I don't want to do any of that because I don't want to lose control. And that's about the funniest thing I've, like, ever heard. No kidding, you know. So uh, food was the one. I guess I had to have something. And I was in ballet at the time and, you know, like, feeling very raw and exposed in my pink tights and mirrors all around the room and a crazy teacher who I completely glommed on to, you know. Um, and, and I would just became his perfect pet. And But that's really where the food uh, started to go crazy. I sometimes think that... That my first binge was preceded by a diet. It really started with the dieting, not with that first bite, you know. And basically, once I started, it just snowballed from there, and I proceeded to go on all the different diets. My mother's diets a lot. I did Dr. Atkins, and I, you know, like the first time around, I, I feel this sense of pride in that. <laughs> and I remember, like, one of Gene Needich's very first books, and he signs of recognition there he was the founder of Weight Watchers and she had all these diet books and stuff and uh, you know that's the thing so many of us come to this program and we know exactly what to eat exactly what to eat it's just not eating it that's the problem (laughs) Uh, and that you know that just reminds me of another thing is that 
uh, you know, in the part in the big book there where it says, you know, so few of us are willing to go, you know, the, go through all these steps, the leveling of our pride, the writing of the inventory, all of that stuff. And the fact is that, by, you know, by the time I got here uh, at age 18, uh, it put me to work. You know, I'll do all of it. I'll, I'll write the inventory. I'll do, call the sponsor. I'll, uh, I'll go to therapy, which isn't the program, of course, but, you know, all of that, all of that, all of that. But what I didn't want to do was stop eating. <laughs> that was the big one. I mean, I wanted to, and I didn't want to. So um, I finally got here. I heard about it through a friend at college and walked into my first meeting. It was Palms Park. There are, were, was two buildings ago. <laughs> Not just one different building, but two buildings ago. And I was both repulsed, you know, and actually never stopped coming back. From 1976, there was a short reprieve in there of a few months, but that was about it. What uh, what turned me off was the God thing. I've been raised as um, an atheist to believe that people uh, who believed in God were weak and stupid. And, and forgive me for saying this a thousand times, but I, I really love it because what I have learned here is that I'm not stupid, but I'm I'm weak. When it comes to food and a whole lot of other things, I have no muscle. I have no power. And I, I love living in that because uh, this February I celebrated 29 years of back-to-back abstinence and, and about a 45-pound weight loss. And it took me four years to get abstinent. It took me four years to get there. Um, and... And I feel that that was really, well, how I got there, of course, was hitting bottom. Uh, but, um, you know, it was finally realizing that it doesn't matter what I try or how I approach this, I can't make this happen. And once I finally realized at a gut level, not in my head, though, that I really was a complete failure when it came to food, um, I love living there because I am as weak today as 29 years ago over food. And and it makes me feel safe um, to live in step one like that. So um, <clears throat> that's basically what happened. I came, couldn't deal with the God stuff, but I've always said, too, that OA uh, just makes it so easy on us. You know, you don't have to pay. You don't have to believe anything. Uh, you know, it's just it's, it's very easy. And then the thing, of course, that attracted me was so many people who had lost their weight and kept it off. And I had never seen that anywhere. Um, and these people had been were happy, joyous, and free, and had been depressed like me. I'd written a suicide note four days before I got to OA, um, which I later found out, you know, look at the timing of that. Not that I ever would have done it, but, I mean, I think many of us have depression and anxiety problems. Um, and it all wrapped around the food. I think, in fact, what happened was I'd gotten on a diet, and I did it with my buddy at college, and I stayed on a diet for my longest time ever, and I think that was two and a half weeks. And I really did think, well, this is it. I'm finally over that thing, you know. I'm, uh, you know, my life isn't going to be destroyed by food. I'm, and, and what happened was, of course, I binged my guts out again. And, and it just plummeted me to this level. And, and I wrote the suicide note. So, so anyway, went to meetings. And um, this is frankly always the place, well, no. So what happened? So I kept going. 
kept going. My binging got worse. I learned, like, binging tricks here. Um, I tried to be, become an anorexic and a bulimic, um, but never could quite do it. Not even quite. I couldn't at all. And my kind of binging, just so you know, would be, like, eight candy bars, half a pizza, pint of ice cream, um, you know, switching between sugar and salt and all of that stuff, and then simultaneously, uh, or once you shove all of that in, you know, you have the ladies' magazine in your hand about tomorrow's next new diet. <laughs> and, you know, to, I, what I like to say, too, is that uh, it was always a two-part decision because I'd wake up every morning on a diet, and this is the beginning of the end, right? And I'd eat, oh, here's more nostalgia, hard-boiled egg and half a grapefruit. And <laughs> <laughs> and also back in the day, we used to have diet plates at restaurants. And, you, I, you know, and the diet plate, you guys, consisted of um, a ground beef patty, a scoop of cottage cheese, and like um, a canned half of a peach with the maraschino cherry on the top. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, of course, the thing is that if we had just eaten that, we would have not had a problem, you know, but I never did. And there used to be a place over at Third and Fairfax where the Grove is now called the Thinnery. Okay, no recognition. And, um, and you know, this is why, like, uh, when I sponsor people, um, no pretend diet foods, you know, because, so I went to the thinnery one day and I bought 12 little, like, mini cakes or whatever they were, and they were all eaten by the time I got home, you know. So, and I used to get the Weight Watchers to, uh, ice cream, too, <laughs> had the marking on the box, and he's got, like, this tiny little sliver, you know, and so, so, um, so, yeah, so, kept coming, 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 and, um, working, doing the do, had sponsors, all of it, at the end of the year, I was about to be fired, and I was about to give up, and literally give up, like, giving away my best shot, can't do it anymore, and that's the moment I got abstinent. Again, that, that, like, sincerely meaning I can't do this to the point of I'm going to quit. And at that moment, I got abstinent. And I stayed abstinent for a year, and then I went out again. And I thought I would get it right back. I had been working, you know, a busy program, and um, and I didn't. It took me a year and a half. And um, basically what happened was I went to a Friday night meeting. Oh, no, no, I had a Friday night binge. And uh, it was pretty mild and meek, um, but I got really, really scared. And the next meeting the next morning was this huge, wonderful meeting on Ohio Street. It probably 150 people, and it was just pulsing with recovery and energy. And I wanted what they had. Um, and I did something. The, the fear motivated me to do something totally different that morning, and that was to make a beeline for those people who really intimidated me and who were doing it, you know, and who I couldn't slide one over on. And and from that day forward, everything changed. One of them said yes, and she began to sponsor me. And she um, was in OA and AA, and so she, she said there were certain things that I had to do or we wouldn't work together. And, um, but they were simple. Four pages out of the, it was either the big book or the 12 and 12 a night. Um, had to have at least one service commitment a week and had to go to one AA meeting a week. And I have just always, always gone to AA meetings and very, very much, um, I don't know, it just soaked it up. Uh, I, I, it really helped me. First of all, for one thing, no matter how crazy anyone is, at any kind of meeting I 
would go to. I related to the feelings. I related to those feelings of all I could do was clean coffee cups here, you know, and I was grateful to have a place kind of to hide um, in that service. So I related to the feelings, and it didn't, to me, the only difference was the substance. Um, and there were also a lot of, like, people dreaming dreams and achieving their dreams. Um, and, and in AA, I would hear over and over, you know, it's the first, I just heard this the other night by an old-timer, it's, it's not the fifth drink that gets you drunk, it's the first drink that gets you drunk, you know, and and so, um, and you know, on all of our OA literature back in the day, across the top of every single pamphlet, it said, and I guess it doesn't anymore, uh, these are wonderful, but it used to say, call before you take that first bite, and it was very, very much focused on that, just don't take that first bite, and for me, um, AA was uh, don't drink no matter what, you know, so um, having this AA sponsor, you know, that, that's kind of what I got, and very much, um, you know, big book oriented, as so many people are, you know, still today, um, and I just jumped in with both feet. Uh, I had a service, I had four service commitments, all of that good stuff, and really pretty much everything began to change. I came out of hiding. Um, I used to be over-anonymous in the, in the program, you know, on the fringes, and, and I got a service commitment at this giant meeting, and, and uh, they said my name from the podium, and, and the way I sort of see that is that what happened was I was, like, forced and motivated to join hands with everyone, and then, you know, I, I got into the love and the support and, and all of that and began to work the steps with my sponsor, and it was interesting because, like, my first inventory, she just said, keep it short. (laughs) She said, write about your uh, fears, guilt, and resentment, and she said, I don't want a book. You know, she's a real, one of those real toughies. And, um, and I love that too, because, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, you're a perfectionist and looking for just the right way that's gonna keep me abstinent and make me happy forever after. And, and this was not even strictly out of the big book, this format. You know, but I haven't had to take a bite since then. And, and my fifth steps have always been kind of, uh, um, unremarkable for me. You know, I always look, uh, it's sort of envious of that part of the big book where it talks about, um, you know, go home and reflect, and, you know, you're now emerging from isolation into true fellowship. And like, nah, nah, nah. Mostly, um, I have to be honest, that the way I experience the steps is not so much like this huge change in personality. It's just that they... They make me feel so good that I've, that I've done them. They build that internal integrity is basically, you know, I've done what I've, I'm told to do. And then something else happened along the way, which I can only assume is the result of working this step. And it's, it's, it's the thing, there were two things that I, well, let's see. When I got here, there was one thing I wanted to be thin. Maybe I was conscious of wanting to stop overeating. And then what I learned about here was that there were actually humans walking on the earth who didn't have the craving for the food anymore. That was something that I just went, okay, that's for other people, not for me. Um, Because I was the type where, you know, it's like when that urge hit, come hell or high water, I had had to give in to it. Um, And that's what has happened to me. 
just one day at a time, working the crap out of, oops, out of this program. <laughs> you know, um, that is, is what has happened to me. The desire was lifted somewhere around year one. Um, it, it wasn't, actually, I think it was, to tell you the truth, the moment that I went to that Saturday morning meeting. Something had changed. Uh, the first year I often used to eat dinner with the phone on the table because I would always get so sad when, when dinner starts to look smaller on your plate. Um, uh, but after that, it's been lifted, and that's the message you know that I want to share. God knows I couldn't have white-knuckled it all these years, and I'm extremely grateful. Um, so since I was on the steps there, you know, so six and seven... Well, I'll tell you this, you know, that seven-step prayer. Please remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. So I figure that my character defects are still very useful to, to God and my fellows, you know, because I still, you know, have them. Not, you know, a lot of them, of course, have gone from um, a roar to a whisper is how, how I say it a lot. But I really believe in that. Like, I, I more, more history nostalgia. You know, I love studying Bill Wilson, the co-founder of our program. And, and uh, you know, he was like this very flawed character. But... And also maybe a genius, you know, certainly brilliant and all. And, but if he hadn't had all those flaws, we wouldn't have this program. So, so anyway, um, that's how I experienced that. Uh, step eight, you know, made cajillion amends. I used to work at a deli and, and eat the food. Um, the deli closed. I've, you know, made contributions to charity. I've given a waitresses big tips. I've done some amends with my mom. I'll just share on that uh, where I've just done all these different kinds of amends. At one time I heard someone sharing in a meeting where she made a list of all the really like favorite memories she had of her mom and gave, gave them to her mom. I've done one of those um, and all kinds of good things. Oh, when my, when my brother died, I made posthumous amends, um, which was freeing, you know. I've... Uh, I've all I, I grieved a lot. This, this program basically told me, you know, don't keep those feelings in. And so I used the rooms to grieve when he died. Um, you know, um, I, I've never really consistently done a, a, a tenth step at the end of, of, of the night. You know, I've done it in spurts. Okay, is that five after? That's cool. Um, let's see. Five. Okay, cool. Let's see. What else do I... And, you know, step 12 is the theme is the joy of living. And life, I, I tell you what, I've just been feeling kind of philosophical lately. And it's, it's just, it's a journey. You know, someone said at a meeting this morning, just like how blessed we are to, to have this program um, and that the kind of people who hang out here are the ones that she wants to be around because they're people living with honesty and integrity. I also heard recently some, somebody say something I loved so much. He says, you know, the people in program, this is my life. I don't have a life and then, you know, I do this on the side. Or I don't have real friends and then there's the people in the program. And I just loved hearing that. Um, I love this program. Um, you know, in the beginning, I went to seven to nine meetings a week. I don't do that by any means. 
but I have the same passion as ever for, for this program. Um, my closest friends are here. There's no question about that. It, it, when I said I was philosophical, you know, it, it's 29 years. A lot happens. Fantastic stuff, stuff that isn't so fantastic. You know, but, but what I'm feeling today is that it's just one more step. You know, it's just we're here. I'm not going to make any sense with this, but we're just, you know, like I have reached recently a turning point in my life. Something is changing, and it is emotional. And you know, but it's but it's, it's I'm not arriving anywhere. You know, I have the perspective to know that um, this is just a new beginning, and then there will be another one, and then there will be another one. And like I said, good, bad, or ugly. And what I was taught here, and I'll just end on this, is that because life is like this. And because we can't figure it out, just don't eat today and everything else will be revealed, you know. Just don't, you know, especially when you're new and our head is just like crazy, analysis paralysis, you know. And and I think the secret to life actually is, I've decided, well, helping others, you know, I didn't even talk about service, but that completely revolutionized my self-centered life. Helping others, keeping the focus off myself and singleness of purpose. Because I look back, and, and, you know, you look around, and then there's the, the new books, you know, the self-help or the secret or whatever it is, you know, and, and what we do here, we get to just, I had sponsors who said, Zen, you don't have to conquer the world, you don't have to be the best ballerina that ever danced, you don't have to understand everything, just eat three meals today and hit the sack abstinently, and you are in a screaming success. And, and that has kind of, you know, and I have to sometimes just go back to that. And it's a great relief because it also puts me into step three. I'm not running the show. I am just going to try to eat my three meals today and, and live in that place. So thank you all for listening, and I wish you all the best. <laughs> and I hope you have questions. Mickey. Uh, hi, Zan. Thank you so much. I wonder, could you speak about uh, when working your spiritual discipline or your 11th step or in the morning or at night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm real spotty with that. Um, I've always... Okay, yes. Uh, Mickey asked me, would I describe my spiritual discipline and how I'm, for instance, step 11, like at night? And I'll, yeah. Um, I haven't been real committed to step uh, prayer or mostly meditation, you know, on and off, mostly mostly off for sure. Um, I, I pray a lot during the day, throughout the day. That, I'm, you know, um, my sponsor right now has me with the egg timer, you know. So I'm, I'm really trying to do that again, but I'm rebelling um, <laughs> one more time. Um, I, I read little books, you know, but, but again, it, it's, you know, it's sporadic. Um, yeah, you know, in a, in a classic way. So I, I find my spirituality more in in action and helping others rather than in contemplation. I would guess. Yeah, yeah, yes. Hi, thank you so much. I, I love what you have to say. Um, I was wondering, how did you work the program when you're new, and uh, how do you work it now? <laughs> okay. So, yeah, when I was brand new, seven to nine meetings a week. Like on the weekends, always two a day. And 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 yeah. And, um, 
I hung on for dear life, you know. And I can describe you the concrete terms, you know, like seven to nine in the beginning, and now it's probably one. And uh, But I can also tell you in, in, in the more lofty way, I guess, um, I wear it much more like a loose jacket now. Uh, and, um, in fact, like my sponsor is someone that we co-sponsor each other. Uh, rather than just having a, you know, a sponsor one-way relationship. Um, uh, yeah. How, um, you know, there's even been times where I haven't even done that much service. I have one sponsee right now. I'm actually, here's the thing, I'm working two other 12-step programs <laughs> right now. Um, and I've really jumped in with those, and I absolutely love it. The one in particular uh and it's just, you know, so, yeah, so that it's, that's changed. And, and I, I'm really kind of comfortable with that. I think that, you know, uh, we dive into life. We've, I've really been able to dive into life, and so I've needed uh, the 12-step the perspective in these other areas. Um, that's roughly it. Yes? How did you go from being an agnostic to turning your life over to God? Great, great question. Uh, the food did it for me. Uh, repeat, and I'm dead serious. Repeated binges. Uh, four years in OA of re- horrible, incomprehensible demoralization. It was not an intellectual decision. It was that I crawled back in the rooms that Saturday morning and, and said, like, okay, everything I'm doing is failing. Just tell me what to do. And I began to act as if. And I was told over and over that that was the answer and that that was totally okay. You know, that you don't have to believe anything here. But my sponsor said, you have to get down on your knees and thank God at the at, at night for your abstinence and get down on your knees in the morning and ask him to give you the strength to abstain that day. Um, and um, so I just pretended, you know, I just pretended and um, it became the educational variety and I found that it worked for me. You know, however my concept of God changes on a daily basis or not, um, having a conception of a higher power in my life just is the other key to success, you know, and, and uh, so that's how the food does it. Yes? I, I'm guessing that maybe you've had more than one sponsor during this 29-year period, and I was wondering um, how, how that happened, how did you go from one sponsor to another, and how did you know it was time to change sponsors? That's, that's great. Thank you. The first one who uh, I got abstinent with, after about a year and a half, I just felt inside that there was, it was time for something new. And I called her up and I said that, and she, she said I was about to say the same thing to you. So that was great. Um, another, let's see, another one passed away. Um, and a, another one, well, here's, let's see. With one, she was um, really fed me spiritually and taught me spiritually. But um, I was very interested in in my career at that time and getting married. Um, And so I felt that I wanted to have someone who was in the workplace currently and married. And so um, that was a transition. I I actually kind of kept both of them at the same time. Um, But I withdrew somewhat from the first sponsor. And and, and our ticket told her that. It's hard. It's scary. Things like that are really scary to, to tell people. But... Uh, you know, we have to do things here, and we try to do them with love, of course. So, yes? Would you speak a little bit more about powerlessness? 
Yeah, that's my absolute favorite topic um, <laughs> uh, because it was just so hard to grasp. I mean, yeah, you know, my father was uh, my father's father escaped the Tsar's army in Russia, you know, and my my mother's side of the family was, you know, wasp and, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so, you know, besides the, the classically religious idea of um, you're not supposed to believe in any power greater than yourself, there's this whole, you know, kind of like a Puritan ethic. And the American thing, you know, like, uh, is it, uh, I want to say MacArthur, World War II, you know, say he, there's this famous quote, I read in Parade Magazine not that long ago, one of his famous quotes is, you're only defeated if you admit you are. Well, <laughs> exactly, you know, exactly. And the world tells us and reinforces us, you know, that that is failure, failure, failure. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. So, I mean, again, nothing, no intellectual power of my own or anyone else's convinced, uh, taught me powerlessness. I just had to keep eating, you know. And, um, and then, of course, it, it, with other things besides the food, you know, sometimes in the early years, like how do I work my different program differently today, I, I like to hope that, you know, in the earlier years, we have to kind of pound ourselves ahead against the wall to, to surrender in any given subject. But, but now, you know, then it becomes more of like, you know, I don't want to go there and I don't need to become bloody before I let go of something. Um, and to me, that's a result of coming to meetings. Yeah. What is your food plan on that? Okay, great. Uh, today, it, uh, I've never eaten sugar. I don't do sugar. Uh, the first whole year, I didn't touch bread. And um, then had to do like this big, you know, like bookending. Okay, I'm going to have one piece of bread now. And so since then, you know, I've, I do grains and this and that. Uh, but mostly, I had this one sponsee. She's so adorable. She said, what do we eat here? Protein and produce. You know, basically it. Um, uh, but I, I'll do grain as well. I sometimes have to be careful with that. I sometimes have to reach out because if I bring rice cakes into the house, I want them every single night, you know, which isn't to say there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But sometimes when I become obsessed with something like that, I'm not binging on them. I'm not breaking my abstinence, but it becomes bothersome to me and obsessive. And so I have to reach out, ask for help, get a new food sponsor. And, and that has always worked for me. For me, I weigh and measure. Again, you know, it's an individual choice. This happened about a year and a half into my abstinence because I was having, I once had lunch and five bananas, you know. <laughs> and again, that is part of my 29 years. Take it or leave it, you know, uh, because those foods were on my abstinence. But that was really bothering me and, and making me feel very stuffed and guilty and thinking about food for 24 hours at least, you know, and my body again. And so uh, there was this gal walking around the rooms and she was glowing. And with spirituality, and I said, well, what do you got? And she said, I'd weigh and measure my food. And I said, will you sponsor me? And since that day, I've done it. Never, I've never done it when I've gone out to, din- you know, whatever. But I do it at home, and it, it's a tremendous comfort zone for me um, <clears throat> because I know it's enough for one thing, because it really is, and I put my two cups of salad in the thing, and, and my knuckles get, you know, <laughs> bruised from hammering it in, because um, that's my food, and that's what I get, and so I'm going 
going to eat all I get. Um, but then when dinner's over, it's over. And see, before I did this, the food, the mind would keep going, well, I could go back for more. You know, I, you're not going to gain weight on salad or chicken or, you know. And um, so for my obsessive mind, it, it, it gives me freedom. It's freedom from the bondage of food. Okie dokie. Thanks. Thanks.